Hello, everyone. It's again great to be with you today as we continue to dive into exploring this new sermon series on being the church that we want to be and really being the church God is calling us to be. And as we are also getting started in the new year, just want to say thanks today to Katie and to Caroline kicking us off in this online worship time together. So as we get ready to dive into God's word today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know that we are now a few weeks into the new year, but Christmas still isn't that far in the past. So I'm curious if you'd help me out here just a moment and put in the chat uh, responses if you either still have a Christmas tree up or you still have your Christmas decorations up. Just go ahead and take a moment and let our online host know if that is the case for you. I will share that for us in the Lake household, uh, our Christmas tree and our decorations, they are already down. We thoroughly enjoyed them, uh, but now that we're in the middle of January, uh, the tree is down. But I will tell you, uh, this year for the lakes, we've gotten into this little uh, tradition that's happened for us the last couple of years. And that is we tend now, or at least again, the last couple of years to pick out a Christmas tree that is not the most beautiful of trees. In fact, we pretty intentionally seek out one of the more ugly trees, if I can say it that way. We're not talking slightly deformed, but one truly in need of help and a little TLC. And we blame our daughter, Alex, for this newer tradition in our life because it was she who a couple of years ago thought it would be so funny to pick out a less than desirable tree. And at first I wasn't sure how I felt about it. And even this year, as we were picking out our tree, Jen and I were like, how about we get a more normal tree this year? But Alex really, really wanted one particular tree, one rather uh, deformed tree as it were. And she really wanted this. And so we said, Alex, uh, you can talk with the boys. And if all three of you come to a unanimous decision, and this is the tree that you want, then we'll go ahead and we'll get it. But you have to come to a unanimous decision. Well, Alex has a way with her brothers. And so it was only a matter of minutes before all three of them were in unanimous agreement that they wanted to get this one particular tree. Uh, so I'm going to show you a picture of this tree. And as you're looking at this tree, you can see it's pretty short. Uh, it's rather heavy on the bottom, but it's got patches on the bottom. And then it's got this one shoot that sticks straight up, not just a couple of inches, but literally multiple feet straight up out of the middle of the tree. Uh, it was odd looking to say the least. Uh, but over time, we've come to appreciate this little tradition because as my wife Jen has described it, she says we've had this tradition of choosing the misfit tree, the jankiest tree, the you've got to be kidding me tree. And yet this tree will bring us much joy and laughter in this season. And we will be grateful. Jen was exactly right. We have had many great laughs around this tree this year. But it wasn't just the laughs that we had. Interestingly, once we got the tree to the house, once we eventually got it decorated, and specifically once we put the Christmas lights on it, and then we got the presents around the bottom of the tree, something began to happen. And in particular, once those lights were on the tree, it didn't look quite so much like a misfit tree. 
dare I say, with all of the love and all of the lights upon it, it was transformed. It looked downright beautiful in our home in its own way. By the end of Christmas, it no longer even seemed like a strange tree. It seemed like our tree with all of its lights and glory. It was beautiful. Light does this. Light transforms. It transforms the ugly into the beautiful. And we know who the ultimate light is. The ultimate light is Jesus Christ. We focused on the light of Christ all the way through the season of Advent a number of weeks ago, leading up to Christmas, where we celebrated Jesus as the light of the world. And in that light, we know that Jesus offers transformation. The light of Christ transforms everything, the darkness, the ugliness, the gloom, the misfitness, and brings forth life and love and beauty. Light brings transformation. And this is our heartbeat at First Church, transformation in Christ, to be a church that is an agent of transformation as much as possible so that together we and those around us and everywhere that we have the possibility to influence can experience transformation in Jesus Christ. We've begun a sermon series on exploring the church we want to be. And to be clear, what we mean by that is we want to be the church that God is calling us to be. And we began last week realizing that all of us, every single one of us as an individual, we are called to be part of God's church in a culture where so often we focus on individuality, in a culture where we focus on a what-can-you-do-for-me mentality, God's church offers a refreshing and powerful alternative. In God's church, we are reminded we are not alone and that the church is the one vehicle in the world on this side of heaven that God is using to share the kingdom of God among us. There are no other alternatives. We are reminded that in God's church, every single one of us matters because every single one of us is called to be part of that church. And so God's church comes among us to bring the light, the love, the healing, the grace, and the beauty of Jesus Christ among us. There is no higher or more powerful calling to which you and I can belong. We don't just gather for one hour a week to sing a few songs and to offer a few prayers and to sit and listen a few moments to a sermon and then go about the day or the week and feel good about ourselves. We gather as the people of God to be swept up into the great adventure of God's love and God's kingdom in our world so that not only can we experience it, but we can share that love and light with all the world so all the world can experience it. It is a powerful and holy and wonderful opportunity to join with the living God. Anytime people encounter the love and power of the living Savior, they're changed. They are transformed forever. There's nothing else that we want to be about than, as a church than helping people encounter the living God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We sincerely believe that when the light of Christ enters into our lives, we are transformed. Much like that misfit tree, that Christmas tree, that was picked up but then transformed in the light as the lights were strung upon it. 
over and over in Scripture and in our lives today, we know that when this light, the light of Christ, touches our lives, our lives and the lives of any that the light touches are transformed. They're different after the light than they were before. And we see this repeatedly in Scripture. Specifically, we hear this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This statement comes from the great Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and it comes in Paul's most complete theological work, the book that most summarizes all of his theology here in the book of Romans. But after spending the first 11 chapters in Romans talking doctrine and a heavy focus on belief, Paul begins this 12th chapter with a radical shift. And as Pastor Janet has reminded us at different times in the past, anytime you hear that term, therefore, which chapter 12 begins with, we know that this is a major signal in Scripture that something very significant is coming along, as if to say it is there for a reason. And part of the shift that's going to take place here is a shift from doctrine and belief to taking action. And what is the first action that Paul tells us to take? to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, while not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. This whole concept of a living sacrifice, it's an odd one. Usually we think of sacrifices, rightly so, as dead and done, as it were, placed on an altar or on a sacrifice to God. And because it's dead, it's not going to crawl off. But a living sacrifice can be put on the altar, and because it's still living, can choose to crawl off of that altar. To be clear, this is not a question from Paul. It is a command. It's an expectation. It's a compulsion. Jesus' followers are expected to be change agents because they are living sacrifices, both ones who are changed themselves and who bring change into the world in the name of Jesus. In that way, it is always a both and. We are transformed and we are change agents for the world in which we live. The word in the Greek for transform is a word that might sound rather familiar to us. It's metamorpho. And it means to change into another form. It's where we get the origin of our English word, metamorphosis. When we are transformed in Christ, it's not something we do to ourselves. Rather, it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us bringing about change and bringing about transformation. Because of that, transformation begins with surrender. When we surrender our hearts to Christ, the transforming work of the love and the grace of Christ can take root in our lives to bring forth transformation. The English word transform, it's derived from two different words. Trans, meaning to cross over, to go over, and form, which actually means from. So the form here means from. So literally what we get it means to go over from, to cross over from. It's interesting to me that the term for metamorphosis, it's generally a scientific word 
meaning a complete change in form or substance or structure. So metamorphosis, it's what a caterpillar undergoes when it becomes a butterfly. The change is so complete that once it's finished, the butterfly can no longer return to being a caterpillar. It is literally a new creation that did not exist before. So we also hear this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. When we surrender or let go, room then is created that was not there before. And so room is created in order for something new to enter in and emerge because now there's space that wasn't there before. Now, as we're considering all of this about the idea of transformation, here's one of the more interesting elements of transformation to me. And it's this. When it comes to transformation, there are generally one of two significant reactions that you and I will have. Transformation is often either desired by us or it terrifies us. And sometimes maybe both at the same time. So I want to invite you just a moment where you are right now. Just go ahead and think about the idea of transformation, whatever that might mean to you, whatever that image is that conjures up in your mind. When you think about transformation in your life and what that could mean, what emotion does it elicit within you? Is it something that brings you great joy and something you desire some form of transformation? Or does the idea of transformation terrify you? What's your gut reaction? Because for some of us, the opportunity to experience transformation, that sounds like the best news possible. It's what we've been searching for. It's in part why we make New Year's resolutions. We have goals of things we want to achieve. We want something to be different about ourselves in the future than it is right now. And so to try to bring about that change or transformation, we in our own strength determine resolutions we will live into. The problem is that almost always we do these resolutions in our own strength. And sometimes we do a great job for a while of following through in our own strength. But most people with enough time ultimately fail in their resolutions. According to statistics of those who choose to make New Year's resolutions, 75% of folks are still keeping those resolutions after one week. So that's great, 75%. But that means 25%, even after one week, they've already dropped off. There's folks, about 64% are still following their New Year's resolution after one month. And then after six months, about 46% of folks are still living into their resolutions. Now, I don't think that's too bad after six months, but even after six months, over half of folks are no longer living into their resolutions. And here's what's really interesting. Only nine to 12% of folks end up keeping those resolutions as an entire way of life. In other words, by enough time or with enough time, about 90% of folks no longer keep those resolutions. Why? Because we try to do it in our own strength. But when we talk about transformation in Christ, it's possible to experience true and lasting change in large part because it's not just in our own strength. Transformation in Christ leads to lasting change. And for many of us, this is such welcome news. For those of us struggling with guilt, 
or addiction or uh, hopelessness, for those of us who feel unseen or unheard, for those of us who feel misunderstood or without purpose, or if we feel like some kind of misfit, for those of us who wonder who we really are and we're so tired of wondering, we long for transformation that will allow us to be seen, that will allow us to be valued, that will allow us to be loved, that will allow us to have purpose. We long for that kind of transformation. Transformation, long and lasting change in Christ is possible. And I don't say that in a gimmicky, magical way. I don't say that in an all our wishes are granted kind of way. I'm saying it in a truth-filled Christ reality way found in surrender. And we are a church who wants to offer the hope and the grace and the joy and the beauty and the purpose and the connection and the truth found in Jesus Christ to everyone. And if that is you, or if you know someone who's looking for those things, we desire to be a church that is here for you to extend that kind of transformation to you in Jesus Christ. I'm guessing some of us have heard the story in the Gospel of John chapter 4 about this type of transformation that is desired and longed for. It's a story where Jesus is tired from traveling and he's thirsty and he stops in a place called Samaria. And because he's tired and thirsty, he stops by a well, but he tells his disciples, you all go on into town and find food for us. And keep in mind in that day, the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along. Actually, they hated each other. Most of the time, Jews wouldn't even travel through the place called Samaria. It would be the modern day equivalent to a degree of kind of what's happening a little bit between Democrats and Republicans, except way, way, way worse than that. At least Democrats and Republicans, for the most part, will talk to each other or be in the same space. No Jew would even interact with a Samaritan. And yet here's Jesus by a well in Samaria as a man, and there's a woman who comes at noon to the well. We are never given her name. But the fact that she comes at noon means she was coming in the heat of the day. Most others would have come early in the morning when it was cooler. Most of the women would have gathered early in the day, not in the heat of the day. So the fact that this woman comes later in the day by herself when it's hotter and when it's harder to get the water means she didn't want to be around other people. And it most likely means she didn't want to be around other people because she had a past. Maybe she was embarrassed or maybe she was racked with guilt. Maybe she was just filled with too much shame and she couldn't bear to be around anyone else. So you can almost picture her coming to this well, racked by her guilt and her shame and her embarrassment. You can imagine her head hanging low. And it's there that then Jesus engages her in conversation and he asks her for a drink of water. The woman is startled. She's surprised. I imagine she's not even looking Jesus in the eyes when he dares to ask her in public a question. Why would he, a man, and a Jew be caught dead asking her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And yet as the conversation went on, that nameless, shame-filled, broken, alone woman encountered the living Christ. She discovered what she had been searching for and longing for, except she just didn't know where to find it. She discovered the, the truth and the grace found in the living Savior. She encountered the light 
and in his presence, she was transformed. She left the well that day a different woman, a changed woman, a new woman, a transformed woman, metamorpho. The woman who had been alone now went to find others. The woman without a voice now had a voice. The woman who felt abandoned now felt loved. The woman who had not had purpose now left with a purpose to share the news of the living Savior with others. And the woman who had felt unseen now felt completely and fully seen and heard. Some of us today long for that kind of transformation. And if that is you, we want to be the kind of church that offers you the gift of this transformation in Jesus Christ. For some of us, we would do just about anything, anything to experience that kind of transformation. But for others of us, the notion of transformation might terrify us. We who are change averse, we who like our lives the way they are, we who are comfortable, well, the idea of transformation may not be something we're seeking out. Years ago, Bishop Will Willimon, who served as the chaplain at Duke University for many years, told the story of how he invited a football player from Duke to have lunch with him. During the lunch conversation, Bishop Willimon asked the football player, what do you think of worship in Duke Chapel? The football player said, well, I never think about it. And Bishop Willimon responded, well, you've gone to the chapel, so what's the impression that you get? The football player responded he had never been inside of the chapel at Duke, despite walking past it for multiple years on campus. And of course, Bishop Williman asked, well, why? And the football player said, well, I went to church as a kid and I picked up that you Christians are always wanting to change people. You're into conversions and you're always wanting people to be better and different. And frankly, I'm kind of happy with the way my life is right now. I'm okay. And that's why I don't really want to come into the chapel. Uh, Bishop Williman responded, and if you know him at all, he said, that's a surprisingly perceptive comment, especially from a defensive lineman. So let me get this straight. You're not coming to church for the conventional reasons, things like, I don't like the preacher, or I've heard it all before, or I don't like the music. No, you're saying you don't want to come to church because you don't want to run the risk of connecting with a disruptive savior who might change your life. Is that right? And the football player said, that is right. To which Williman responded, well, that's wonderful. I'm going to take that and frame it and put it over my door of the chapel so that it reads, don't you dare come in here if you're not willing to risk disruption. If that's you today, I want to say to you that we also desire to be a church that does shake you up, that does disrupt you, that does offer transformation, that does demand more of you because that's part of the life of discipleship. I think of people like Courtney. Courtney is currently serving as our children's ministry person. If you talk to Courtney very long, she didn't seek out that position. She didn't wake up one day saying, I would love to do this. This would be amazing. In fact, if you talk to Courtney, what she would tell you is that she was scared to death to even think of applying for the position. But if you also talk to Courtney, she would tell you there was just something within her that wouldn't let her say no. There was something within her that was causing her to step out of her comfort zone and to offer herself and to sacrifice herself in this way. 
It was a call of obedience, but it was also a call of discomfort, and it was disruptive. Talk to her now, and she'll tell you about how much her life has changed over the last number of months, and she can't even imagine how much more it might be disrupted in the months to come, and yet she knows that she is where she is supposed to be. Transformation, metamorpho. Because in Christ, there's always a deeper place to go. We are a church that does not simply want to remain content or comfortable. The life of discipleship, it's one that demands our all. It rearranges our perceptions of reality. It gets us beyond ourselves from consumers to contenders in the faith. In other words, we desire to be a church that's not all about us but about life in Jesus Christ, where we recognize that God loves us enough to not leave us where we are, but calls us forward in new ways, because God has more significant plans for us than we have for ourselves. Paul, who's writing to us in Romans today, knew something about this disruptive kind of transformation. Remember, it was Paul who was Paul, but before he was Paul was Saul, and he was a Pharisee. And he liked who he was, and he was in charge, and he had authority. He was a known expert. He had people who listened to him and did what he told them to do. He was good at what he did. And he had no desire to leave that behind. So imagine both his surprise and his terror when on one particular day on a road to Damascus as he was going about his business, when Jesus suddenly showed up in full force and in a dazzling light that left him blinded. Imagine how much that terrified Saul. And it scared him so much he fell to his knees and he cried out, who are you? And in that moment, Jesus encountered Saul in the most disruptive of ways. But that disruption set Saul to becoming Paul, to a new course in life and a new path for his life. And the scene was so dramatic and so disruptive and so transformative, Saul was no longer Saul. He was Paul because the old was gone and the new had come metamorpho. We want to be the kind of church where Jesus is so alive and so on the move that Jesus still dazzles so spectacularly and so brilliantly that it disrupts us and blinds us to our ways, even if it terrifies us as we live into lives of deeper discipleship in Christ. We want to be a church that experiences the love of Christ in such a real and powerful way that we experience the glory of God up close and personal. We want to do more than recite the creeds. We want to do more than know them from memory. We want to live into those creeds with Christ as our rock and our strength. We want to be a church where we are living sacrifices who refuse to conform to the ways of this world. We want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, offering love and forgiveness, even in the hardest places. And we want to be a church that is not lukewarm in the spirit, but living fully into the light of Christ, with that light shining in our deepest, darkest places, with that light shining past all of our defenses that seek to keep us comfortable for our sake and helping us move beyond ourselves to wherever God may be calling us to go. Because we want to be a church where Jesus still shows up in unexpected places in wonderful and powerful ways. Metamorpho. So I ask again, what emotion and reality of transformation in Christ, what emotion does that raise within you? Is it something you've desired and longed for? Or does it fill you with terror at what may be? We're doing our best to be a church that's sharing the transforming love of Jesus for those who are seeking it, 
even if they don't know it. It's why we'll go to any degree that we can to meet people on their turf in things like the Axe Network. It's why we're trying to meet people on the fringes, on college campuses and anywhere else that we can. It's why we meet in places like Faith Zone and connect with students where others who might share the love of Christ might not have the opportunity to meet with them. We'll do anything we can to meet people on their turf. And at the same time, we want to be a church that offers the transforming love of Jesus in a way that disrupts our lives. So we will offer Disciples Journey 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you've not yet taken one of those steps, will you do that this year in 2023, even if it's disruptive or scary? It's one of the reasons that every week we give a reminder to give sacrificially that our lives would be disrupted in a way to say we choose to give beyond our own comfort. It's why we engage in things like Transform and Code Blue, to have our lives disrupted to share the love of Christ with others. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will help us move past our comfortability desires. And that like Paul, we'll be blinded by the love of Christ in such a way we can't help but respond to the light and the love of Jesus so that transformation may occur. Metamorpho. Transformation in Christ everywhere. Today, Paul shifts in Romans from belief and doctrine to action. And so as we end our time together today, I wanna to invite us to take two actions before we're actually done together. First one is this, to experience transformation in Christ we surrender to Christ. So right now, the first action I want to invite you to take is to surrender. Wherever you are right now, I just invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And what is it we need to surrender unto Christ? I want to invite you just to pause and reflect on that here for just a moment. What is it you need to give, to release, to surrender, to let go to God? Some of us need to surrender our worries. Some are anxieties. Some are negativities. Some are addictions. Some are clutching of control. And some of us, if we never have before, surrendering our lives to Jesus himself. What is it you need to surrender? I invite you in these moments to just go ahead and surrender those things or yourself into the hands of Jesus. And as we surrender, the second action we need to take to experience transformation is we need to embrace Christ. So today I want to invite us to embrace and welcome in the new life, the light of Jesus in our lives. Embrace the warmth and the power and the humility and the joy and the kindness that only Christ can bring. Some of us need to welcome the light of Christ that brings hope, that comes from recognizing we're not in control. God, we give the future to you. Some of us need to welcome the light of Christ in a way that brings peace, peace that passes all human understanding and peace that washes over us in every human circumstance. Some of us need to welcome the light of Christ in a way that brings love. Love for us, no matter what we've done, 
in the past, no matter how much we've messed up. And some of us need to welcome Christ in our lives for the very first time as Lord and Savior, the one who brings true transformation. And for some of us, we need to embrace Christ again to be renewed in him. Today, I invite us to embrace the hope the love and the joy and the goodness that only comes in Jesus Christ. Metamorpho. Lord, fill us this day with your holy light. Make us new in you as we surrender to you and embrace you in your transforming light and love. Thanks be to God. Amen. For all of us this day, as we get ready to go, let us go in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, surrendering and embracing the light and the love of Jesus Christ that brings transformation in our lives and the lives of all those that we have the opportunity to interact with so that together we can experience transformation in Christ. Go in peace and serve the Lord.